Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. We left off Thursday with this verse. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, in the five previous nights that we've been together, we have seen that there is a clear battle between God and the enemy, God and Satan, and that there are these rules of engagement based on the covenant that God has made between us and his people, and that you can extrapolate that covenant. And we saw various examples of the rules of engagement in between God and Satan. And the fact that the whole Bible can be seen as a judgment scene where God himself is on trial because his character has been slandered, his character has been questioned. And during this time, we saw that a lot of the pain and suffering, God in the end has taken it upon himself when Jesus Christ hung on the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We've seen that God is just, that God is love, that sin did not start with him, even though he made it possible because love demands freedom and freedom makes evil possible, even though God is not the author of sin. And even though we know that Satan has been defeated on the cross by the immense sacrificial love that God demonstrated, before anyone suffers, his son suffered first. We know that Satan, even though he used to have access to heaven, has been kicked out because of what Christ did on the cross. And we learned that throughout the five days. But he's mad. He's angry. He can no longer access heaven. He can no longer uh, face God and the, and the celestial tribunal or council. And he has come with great wrath for those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony. We've learned Satan has a short time. He has been kicked out of heaven, no longer able to return. And based on that, he wants to destroy those who follow God, described by these two characteristics mentioned here. Throughout this series, we have seen and described the character of God, and the Bible tells us that God is love likewise god longs for us out of our own free will to love him back nevertheless our relationship with god is governed by the covenant found in the scripture in fact we've been promised that the covenant will be placed in our hearts and we'll see that this is why jesus utters these words in the gospel he says if you love me what my commandments. Satan wants to attack those who keep the commandments of God because he knows he has a short time. And Jesus says this word, if. The implication is don't bother keeping my commandments if you don't love me. Right? Because a relationship that God wants is a relationship based on love which is freely given and freely bestowed. Right? No forced allegiance, no tricked allegiance, no deceptive allegiance. What he wants, and Jesus clearly says, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. Jesus goes on to say, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So now he says it almost backwards, right? If you have my commandments, all of them, not just the Ten Commandments, but, but his teachings that are found in Scripture, if you keep my commandment, those who keep them are the ones who love me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see the word love totally used here. It is a, 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 a melody, a, a fruit salad of love, right? It's love for us to God, God to the Father, the Father to Jesus, and it's all been demonstrated clearly by the fact that God sacrificed himself. More on this, for this is the love of God. Now explain differently. It's like how many ways can the Bible explain it, but it's trying to drive home the point. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not what? Oh man, I can't do this, I can't do that. I remember when I was coming back to the Lord after a 12-year hiatus, I knew that I had to follow the Lord. I knew the life I was living wasn't the life most conducive to a relationship to God. But I have to admit, part of me was like, man, I'm going to come back to the Lord. I'm going to live this quiet life. All my friends are going to be partying, enjoying this earth. They're going to come back to the Lord in the last minute, and we both get the same heaven. <laughs> How fair is that? But what I realized now, and it was the parable in the Bible that I had the most trouble with, was the parable of the workers. Remember the parable of the workers? They're all looking for work. And some get hired right away. Others get hired a couple of hours later. And finally, some get hired at the last minute. And it was that parable that led me to understand that the Lord's commandments are not burdensome. And here's why. The people, and at the end, they all got paid the same. But the people who got hired at the very beginning of the day had the peace and knowledge that they were going to be able to feed their family at the end of the day. They didn't have to worry. They were able to work. They were able to make plans knowing that their family would be fed. Those people at the end of the day, even though they got paid the same, throughout the whole day they were worried how they were going to feed their family, how they were going to feed their little kids. And when I finally understood that parable, I understood that when I have the joy of the Lord, it doesn't matter if I go through pain or suffering. Look at Job. He said, naked I came, naked I go out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in no instant did he blame the Lord for all that he was going through. Because when I realize now the, the, the peace that I have in Christ, the peace that I have knowing his commandments, and even if I wasn't converted, just the practical advice in Scripture to live a, a life, you'd be at least a good citizen. In God's ways are never burdensome when we understand them, even if we go through trials, because he can bring us through the trials. More emphasis on this. This is, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is a commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk.
Now, I want to emphasize the word walk. Because the Bible has this verse that says, can two walk together lest they be agreed? And it's that notion that we have always heard, especially in my Hispanic community. It says, dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. Tell me who you hang out with and I will tell you who you are. Why? Because it's this notion that if you're walking with someone for a long extended period of time, it's because you have a lot in common. And what does the Bible tells us? It says, this is love. That we walk according to what? Our feelings, the theology of the day, the preacher of the day, the hottest preacher of the day. No, we are to walk according to the commandments of God. And this is why it's important that each of us know how to divide this word for ourselves, for your preacher, your teacher, whoever led you to Christ is not going to be with you in those darkest moments. But guess what? The author of this book is with you always, if we allow it. The Holy Spirit is there to guide you every step of the way if we allow him. Because out of free will, we invite him in. And through prayer, we ask him for divine guidance. And so we are to walk according to the commandments. And it's emphasized. And if we do that, then we know we are basking in love. Then the Bible tells us about the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first what? It's this notion we keep seeing throughout Scripture. Love and commandment go hand in hand. Because there is no sense in you telling your spouse or your kids, I love you verbally, and then do the opposite physically. There's no notion of saying I love you in words when your actions do not portray it. And so it's the same way with God. It's this notion that the greatest of all commandments is based on love following the commandments of God. If we love him with all our heart, we are going to do what he says because he and he alone is the one that can navigate us through the pain and suffering and the joys and, and this life all the way home. But not to be neglected, the second of the greatest of all these commandments, it says... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than Jesus himself said, right? No greater love. And we can switch the word than to lay your life or friend. Here, we have not seen God. So this, for the most part, right, is intellectual, right? It's in your mind, your relationship. You and I can argue theology all day long, but what we cannot argue, what you cannot take away from me is what I have experienced in my life, in my relationship with God, and that is here. But what we can argue all day is if you're as mean as the devil, we can see that, right? We can see whether you're loving your neighbor or not. And so these two commandments, Jesus Christ says, on these two Hang what? The entire love. Right? And why is that? Have you ever asked yourself, right, two tablets of stone, why not make it just one tablet? Right? It's two tablets. And then a lot of people I ask, we probably know this in our faith community, but a lot of people, you ask them, how many commandments on each table? They think two, ten commandments, divide them by two, five on each. 
but they're not. It's four on one table on which they hang from this one, right? Love for God, which is what? No other gods before me. No graven images. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those four hang on this. Why? Because those have to do with my relationship with God. Those are my relationship with God. Nobody interferes with that. For I will worship God alone. I will not make any graven images. I will not take his name in vain. And I will remember his death. The other six deal with my relationship with you. And we see them depicted here. Four on one end. And it's funny, funny, not funny, but in finding this image, I had to dig through a lot because all of them have them five and five. But biblically speaking, when you see there are actually two hang, right? The clues. This is my relationship with my neighbor. Now look at the sixth, seventh, and eighth. Six. Thou shalt not kill. Is that a good thing to do or a bad thing to do? For no reason, right? No, no, for no reason. <laughs> right? You shouldn't kill for no reason. But let me ask you a question. Are you saved because you keep this? You're not saved because you. I don't kill because it's not the right thing to do, and I love my Savior. I don't go about my day thinking, don't kill him, don't kill him, don't kill him, don't kill, him, don't kill, him, don't kill her, don't kill her. You're not tempted. No. <laughs> right? We're not saved because of this. But if we love God, we do what? Look at the seventh as well. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You think, right, a husband should not commit adultery simply because it says it? The reason I, we shouldn't commit adultery is because I love my wife, right? But if I'm ever tempted to, right, if I'm ever in a position of vulnerability, the Holy Spirit will remind me, because he never fails, thou shalt not, right? And it's a hedge. It is not your guiding rail, it's a hedge. We're not on rails, it's a hedge against that, right? So if you ever, come out, look, temptation is not nothing wrong. So remember, I, I forgot where I used this illustration, but if there's a pallet of a billion dollars and you're the only one in the forest and you come across it, are you gonna be tempted to, you know, there's a lot of good I could do with just maybe this much. Temptation is nothing wrong, but we have to remember, thou shalt not steal. None of these I keep because they save me. Only Jesus Christ saves. But because I love them, as we've seen from the numerous verses, I keep his commandments. Because the truth is, if I follow these on this earth, my life will be a lot less troublesome. Because if you do not honor your mother or father, you go to foster care. <laughs> In some instances, right? If you kill, you go to jail. If you commit adultery, well, you bring the, you used to get in trouble with the courts, but not with no fault. Divorce. Divorce. Now, though, right, you break up a family. Your kids are less likely to thrive, etc. If thou steal depending on the amount, or unless you're in Congress, you can go to jail. <laughs> Those shall not bear false witnesses. You can get in trouble and sued for bearing false witness. Coveting as well makes you a bad person. 
but none of these I keep because I'm depending on them to save me. I keep them because they're naturally flow out of a person who wants to love God and be loved. This is my commandment. If you keep, if you love me, keep. The Bible tells us that violating everyone who sins, how many? Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is what? Lawlessness. Imagine right now living in a world with no laws, none whatsoever. No traffic laws, no anti-hacking laws, no anti-stealing laws. It wouldn't be a pleasant, right? It'd be survival of the fittest. Or imagine a world with no gravity, right? Those kind of laws that we take for granted. The law of the planet going around the solar system. Any deviance and we'd be either freezing to death or, or burn up to death, right? Laws are important. As a matter of fact, there is no true freedom without proper boundaries, right? Even love has a law. Even love has a law. Right? If you love your kids, you're going to guide them. You're not just going to leave them to themselves. So everyone who sins breaks a law, and in fact, sin is lawlessness. So we begin to see a pattern. I have shown my church this before, but it's the only thing in the Bible that matches up with God, and it's his law. God is good, the law is good, Romans 7.12. God is holy, the law is holy, Romans 7.12. God is just, the law is just, Romans 7.12. God is truth, Psalms 119.142. The law is truth. God is perfect, not burdensome. He's light, he's love, he's righteousness, pure, spiritual, unchanged, eternal. And all of those things here in Scripture, you can see that they are said about God's law. Why? Because God's law is a reflection of his character. And if sin is lawlessness, the enemy wants you to live what? Lawless because it attacks the very nature of God's character. We can depend on God because God never changes. And God is love, and he will love you until the very end. And here we see scripture verses that show that every attribute that God is, the law has. Because why? God's not arbitrary. God's not going to make a commandment just for the sake of making a commandment. Everything that he does is for us to look boldly into his face. And by beholding, we become changed into his image. And so the devil attacks, the devil's attack was on the character of God by slandering God with false accusation. And Satan continues his attack on God's character by attacking God's law and those who keep it, right? He's angry and he's going after those who keep the commandments of God. And that's why in the first angel's message, it says, and I saw another angel flying in the mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven. Two concepts here, but it begins with worship. And we saw that the enemy 
we saw that the enemy is after worship. Okay, call to worship God. At the heart of it is these three words, an echo of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day. It's the only commandment that begins with the word remember. To keep it holy, six days you shall do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your man, nor your stranger who's... Remember those three words from Revelation? For six days the Lord made the heaven and rested on so the Lord blessed the Sabbath. The one commandment that the world forgets is the one that begins with the word. And it's a call to worship the one who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And it's the one commandment that refers to God as our creator. And remember, Satan wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be like the Most High. And if you look this uh, echo of the, when you go from Revelation to Exodus, then it's the echo of creation. That God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his work which he, God had created and made. Genesis 2. Before there was ever sin, God had put a special blessing on the seventh day. He sanctified it or made it holy, which means the same thing. And he rested. There at the heart of the fourth commandment, rested, blessed, sanctified, slash holy. God blessed, sanctified, and rested at creation. Even though the Ten Commandments are on two tables, and the fourth commandment is under the commandment to God, right? Because it's the Love God with all your heart is what? The first, right? Love your neighbor is the second. On these two hang the whole law. The fourth commandment, part of the reason it's in the first table, is because the first part of it is to worship who? The creator. But there is a component that links it to the second table by not making your neighbor or those in your house to work on the Lord's commandment. So it unifies both tablets there at the heart of the Ten Commandments, which happens to be the longest of all the commandments. As a matter of fact, it has more words than the other nine combined. It's the fact that God, we need to worship God in our relationship. And we need to make sure our neighbor has rest as well if it's under our power. God is the creator. At the heart of it are those three words. God as creator, he made it perfect. The weak hasn't changed, but the devil would think to change the law of God, the Bible told us in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. And the number one reason we worship God is you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and work. You've heard me say before, if we would have never sinned, there would be no need for the cross. But nevertheless, we still would worship God. Why? Because he's our creator. The fact that he is our creator is the lowest common denominator for why we worship God. And the Sabbath commandment is at the heart of that. But Satan wanted to be like the most high. He said, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Remember the five I wills, contrary to Jesus not my will, but thy will be done. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the 
heights of the clouds. I will be like the most. For one, he wanted to be God. And for two, remember the two greatest commandments, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He wanted also to receive worship. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve so the devil's been exposed. He wants your allegiance by breaking God's commandments. And what he ultimately wants is for you to worship him and everybody else. For Jesus and his humanity, overcoming the way we overcome by 100% dependence on our Father, tells us that we should worship the Lord and worship him only. The Sabbath was around. The Sabbath was around at creation and even before the Ten Commandments were given. This is a story in Exodus chapter 16 that says, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up yourselves all that remains. He's reminding them about the Sabbath. And this is Exodus 16. The Ten Commandments aren't given to Exodus 20. Why can he say this? Because the Sabbath has been since creation. But why is he reminding them this? Because they've been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. The Sabbath commandment had been nearly forgotten. And it'd be unfair for God to say, remember something that they never should have remembered. But he reminds them that the Sabbath is a memorial of his creative power. And even before there were Ten Commandments, he was already speaking. Before the Ten Commandments were on tables of stone, he was already speaking about Sabbath rest. He remembers them. He reminds them. And remember that you were slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you. Now, spiritually speaking, the book of Revelation tells us that we are, in a, or in the book of Daniel, tells us prophetically that we're kind of in a spiritual Egypt, spiritual slavery to sin. And just like they had forgotten the Sabbath commandment, the world around today has forgotten the Sabbath commandment. The world is steeped in sin, and we will see through Scripture the importance of the Sabbath commandment and its relationship to the rules of engagement and the covenant blessings and curses that we've spoken about throughout the previous five days. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city, yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? Now, many, well, we'll get to it. But here we see that by profaning the Sabbath, evil tends to happen. Also, the sons of the foreign, now I like this verse, who join themselves to the Lord. Many people will argue, and I'll, and I'll address it here in a couple of verses, but many people will argue that the Sabbath is for Israel, not for us. But hear the invitation in the Old Testament even for the foreigner who joins. Anyone who accepts God, the Sabbath is an invitation to serve him, right? And love the name of the Lord to be his servant. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my what? My covenant. Our relationship to God 
is based on his covenant, the blessings and the curses. He's not going to violate that. He's going to be true to that because God is in, uh, full of integrity. He's full of love. He's disciplined. And he invites the foreigner, in this case, you and I, right, to those who love the Lord, then everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and hold fast to my covenant. And if you hold fast to the covenant, you get the blessings that go along with it. So even in the Old Testament, there are rules that God has in place in order to receive the covenant blessings. You know, love, God's love is unconditional. But sometimes we take that phrase to an extreme that is not biblical. So let me explain God's love is unconditional. And when we think of God's love, we think, I'm going to inherit heaven, right? And we think of all the blessings and all the, and all the, um, the benefits of following God. But I, but I ask you, when God finally destroys the wicked and those who have violated the covenant and have received the covenant curses, is he acting any less loving? He's not. Love is not just peaches and roses. Love demands an end to sin eventually. <clears throat> right? So in that sense, God's love is unconditional. Now, in order to receive the benefits of his unconditional love, the positive benefits, then there are covenant stipulations. If you love me, keep my commandments right so he's going to treat you whether saved or lost in a loving manner but in order to receive the blessings of the covenant we have to be in a free will loving relationship with god so yes god's love is unconditional but unconditional love the way the world has been using it means unconditional acceptance of my behavior and that is not biblical you must love me unconditional. And they mean accept my unconditional behavior. And that is not true. Because even Christ himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. As a matter of fact, we saw that what? Sin is breaking of the law. Breaking of the covenant. That relationship between yourself and God. And this commandment is the one that the world has forgotten. For this is the covenant that I will make with those. It's all in caps because it's quoted from... For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mouth, and I will write them up, and I will be their God, and they shall be my Lord. This is found in the New Testament, quoting the Old Testament of Jeremiah. But this is Paul saying that the new covenants where? Were led by the Holy Spirit into all truth. Slowly but surely, if you have a hunger for truth, God will lead you. All the way. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Sabbath was Lord. There's so much here. Remember, the Lord created it. He blessed it, he sanctified it, and he rested on that day. And he made all of that for your benefit and my benefit. There is a benefit there. And, and, it, and it's, it's a benefit that we've seen practically in our Community of faith. We're the longest lived people in the world. We have the best 
private education system. Overall, economically, we, as a people group, we are better off than most. We have a health message where we live longer. God has blessed us, not because we're any, well, let's just put it this way. He didn't pick the best and brightest students. <laughs> but we saw that at the beginning, right? When God, when, when, when it flipped, when Satan was, was uh, kept in a, just at the knowledge of the tree, at the knowledge of good and evil, and the whole world was sinless, when it flipped, God was left with the smallest of all people to try to make something out of nothing while the rest of the world was sinful. And yet he has. And yet he has. But not only do we receive the blessing of the Sabbath, sorry, um, not only that, right, do we receive the fact that we get blessed, sanctified, and we rest on the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am what? The Lord of the Sabbath. Of course you are. You created it. Jesus created all. And this is important because if the Lord of the Sabbath had planned on changing it, you think he would have told us. There's nowhere in Scripture where the Lord himself changes it or anybody else. And so look at all these other verses. More also, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they may know that I am the Lord who what? Sanctified. You know, that picture, the verse that changed my mind, I mean, not my mind, my life, is John 17, 17. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And the imagery I got when that verse hit me was somebody taking a dirty white cloth and scrubbing it on a washboard. And I realized that the more I indulge in the word of God, it is scrubbing the sinful thoughts out of my mind and giving me his purity. And there is something about the Sabbath day, which he has stated, I'm not making it up. He blessed it, he sanctifies it, and we rest on the day he decides, not we decide. He keeps uttering this point throughout scripture. Speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Keeping the Sabbath and sanctification go hand in hand. But right here, somebody will say, see, children of Israel. We're not children of Israel. So your whole argument negated. But you go to the New Testament, and what does Paul say? It is a sign between, oh no, I got another one. It's a sign between me and the children of Israel. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. But look what Paul says. But it's not though as the word of God has failed. Has the word of God failed? Nope. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. We Before we started, this little bunch here, we're talking about my DNA, right? 23 and me, where my descendants are from. And if you look at my... 23 and me, my DNA, it'll start singing, We Are the World. <laughs> because I'm from everywhere. Right? I got Ashkenazi Jew, I got German, I got South African, West African, Arabian, Inca Indian, Tayano Indian, uh, French, Italian. I'm like everything. So here we're talking about descendants of Israel, right? Not all Israel who are descended from Israel. So it's talking about spiritual Israel here, are not the ones who are descended, DNA from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. 
but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, this is the key explaining the rest, it is not the children of the flesh, the DNA, the, the lineage, who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as what? Who are my brothers and sisters? Not my physical brothers and sisters, but those who do the will of my Father. In the last days when there will be persecution, we will have more in common with people of all faiths who want to follow the Lord wherever he may lead than perhaps your very own physical family who does not want to follow the Lord. Paul makes it clear there are no excuses. That is, that is not the children of the flesh or children of God are regarded as so that relationship of the sanctifying influence of the Sabbath still stands. The blessings of the Sabbath still stand. The rest that we find in the Sabbath still stand. Why? Because the Lord of the Sabbath never changed. But it is just like the enemy who, as we've been foretold in Daniel 7.25, wants to change the law of God. And he hates the character of God. And we saw that the character of God is reflected in his law. That which God is, the law is. That which the law is, God is. Why? Because it's talking about his character. Jesus, well, the Bible says in the Old Testament, hallow my Sabbath, and they will be a sign between me that you may know that I am the Lord. None of us can keep the commandments of God out of our own strength. And right now, we live in the land of the free. Right now we live where religious liberty is ours. But there will come a day, we've been told, and we'll see a glimpse of it here, where you're going to have to take a stand for God. And the Sabbath will become, ready, the outward sign of an inward reality that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, because only through the Spirit of God can you keep His madness. We can't do it in our own strength. There's nothing we could do in our strength. All our good deeds are like filthy rags, the Bible says. There's nothing good in me. But as I depend on him, as I am led by him, as us as sheep hear his voice, we will follow him wherever he leads. But look at this. Jesus tells him, you search the scriptures. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Life is not found in, this, in the words unless they lead you to the creator of the word. Right? The Bible tells us that devils believe in God, but it doesn't animate them towards love. They believe in tremble. But the reality is, right, Jesus himself said, if you study the scriptures just to study them, but you don't surrender to the Lord of the scriptures, it does you no good. And then to make it clear, Jesus includes all of the Bible. For he says, if you believed who? Moses, the Old Testament. But he's also symbolizes, of, I mean, he wrote the first five books, but he symbolizes all of the Old Testament. If you believed Moses, remember, he's talking to Jews who, this is all they knew. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote, about me. All of scripture from, Gen from January, from Genesis to Revelation, is all about Jesus. 
But if you do not believe his writings, whose writings? Moses. How will you believe my words? You won't. That's why we need to study the Bible. All of it. But in the end, there's going to be this battle. In Ezekiel chapter 8, you could go home. I didn't want to give all the verses, but this sums it up. There is a series of abominations, right? A series of abominations that God is showing Ezekiel that God's professed people are doing. As a matter of fact, if you look at scripture, right, and we understand this, the betrayal of God's people is never from the atheist. It's from inside. Judas was an insider. As a matter of fact, in, in Revelation at the end, right, it is a religious mix, right? It was God's own people that, that crucified him, the religious. In the end, it's a court of worship, false religion attacking those who want to follow Jesus wherever he may be. And so in Ezekiel, he's showing them a series of abominations. And each one in Ezekiel 8 gets worse and worse and worse. And the one that finally breaks the camel's back is here. He says, then he said, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again and you will see what? Greater abominations than this. Remember the heavenly council? Right? There was a council of many people. Not saying this is what happened there, but it's a glimpse at another council. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And there at the door of the temple of the Lord, in God's own house, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their back, were backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun towards the east. Think about it. The abomination that broke, the broke, you know, that God said was the greatest was God's own professed religious leaders in his own temple turning their backs to the Lord and worshiping the sun. The majority of Christianity is on what day of the week? Sunday. When the Lord said, remember the Sabbath, that it is a sanctifying influence upon the lives of those who keep it. Remember when we went over the 6th, 7th, and 8th commandment? None of those we keep because we're saved. We keep the commandments of God because we're in love with the commandment giver. That we want to follow him because he knows best. So here, the very religious leaders, not atheists, not secular people who want nothing, the religious leaders turn their back upon God and worship the sun. The sun, mind you, is a created thing. Lucifer is a created being. On the last night, we'll see the correlation between. But we realize that Lucifer seeks to be the most high, who is worshipped because he's creator. And Lucifer seeks to be worshipped. Well, he's not going to have people worship on the Sabbath, because that's the Lord's day. And he doesn't want people to remember our creator. In the last days, this parallels Ezekiel 8 and 9. Because if you look here, I put them all together. You see uh, uh, the word worship, either ED or worship. If you count them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 
five, seven, eight. Seven is a very important number in the Bible. There are seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven last plagues. The Sabbath is a seventh day. Remember, those of us, I, excuse my Caucasian friends here, because I don't know Caucasian culture too well, but I know African-American culture and Hispanic culture. Parents were fond of saying, I'm only going to tell you once. <laughs> and then it came down, and my dad was serious about that. He said it once. The next time what you heard was footsteps coming your way, and it was no pleading for mercy then. That's how I grew up. It's universally true. Okay. So I'll testify to okay. that. Okay, good. So here, look. Seven times is a call to worship the beast or his image. Seven is a number of completion. It's the only time it's used in a negative sense in the book of Revelation. Seven times there's a call to worship the beast. Why? Because in the last days, the apostasy against God would be complete. There will only be two sides, no Switzerland in the debate. You either will follow God and be part of those Satan hates who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, or you will worship the beast in his image. Seven times, but God only says it once. What? Fear God and give him glory for the true judge and the true judgment has come. And worship him who made the heavens the earth, the sea, but in reality, right, it's listening, but in reality, he's been appealing to his people to surrender to him, not just the Sabbath. And if we surrender to him, it's because you love him. And if you love him, his commandments. But this is why Satan hates the Sabbath day. One, it reminds us of the creator, and two, it's part of God's law, his character. And in the heart of the seventh commandment, it's my relationship with God and my relationship. I'm not going to be worshiping God and be a slave master running my employees or people in my household to the ground. At the heart of them, it reminds us of God. Going back to the Old Testament, there's this prophecy. Here's that number again. Seven women representing the church is represented as women. will take hold of one man, Jesus Christ, in that day saying we will eat our own bread. In other words, we will have our own interpretation of Scripture, wear our own righteousness, but please let us be called Christians by your name. They want, right? The apostasy is complete. God only has one true church, and I don't mean the Seventh-day Adventist church. I mean those who follow the commandments of God from any denomination, who follow the light that God has given them, and follow it even though they may not know the particulars we know that are based on Scripture. So I'm talking about those who worship God in spirit and in truth from all denominations. Come out of earth, my people. Those, but there's only two groups. The apostles, those who have apostatized and those who are true. Seven women will take hold of one man, Jesus Christ, in that day saying, we will eat our own bread, we'll interpret our own word, have our own righteousness instead of his robe of righteousness. But let us be called our name and yet take away our sins. That's how. That's not how the covenant works. We must render complete obedience. But tomorrow night we'll learn that we can't in our own strength. 
by the grace of God, has given us the strength when he died for us and defeated primarily first the enemy, vindicated his own character to the celestial beings, and only we are left to finally decide who we're going to believe. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before him. He's talking about in heaven now. Right? From one new moon, from one Sabbath to another, that's going to be awesome. No more pain, no more suffering. A day where we stop exploring the universe and all the sciences and music and just come together as the redeemed, worshiping the one who made it all possible. That's why the invitation of Jesus. Oh no, before we get there, it says, Then they returned and prepared spices and prayed and all, and they rested on the Sabbath day according to the Had Jesus given them orders to change, do you think they would have had them by now? It's never recorded after his resurrection because it was never given. They rested on the Sabbath day, and you and I should as well. And that's why Jesus gives us the ultimate rest of which the Sabbath symbolizes. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your soul. The Sabbath is just the outward sign that you have rested that he provided, that he made special. He sanctifies us, meaning he changes us. He washes us with his blood. We'll be whiter than snow. He blesses us on that day, and we find the rest that we could only find. Knowing that, why would I want to do it any other way? See, for 12 years, I lived life my way, and I made a mess of it. You've heard me say before, you can offer me the whole world. I'm not going back to who I And even if I should die a bum on the street, forsaken by my wife and my children, he's already done it all when he bled for me. And the Sabbath is a reminder to myself and to the world that I find my ultimate rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your amazing love. Father, may we keep your holy day. But not only the Sabbath day, but all the commandments, not because of salvation by works, but because we love you. Guide us and lead us. In your son's precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.